uh, that you can invite for that special Sunday. And, uh, and as we gather together, it would be great for us on Easter Sunday to have to put chairs out in the aisle, that we could uh, fill each pew and then uh, still need to have some space uh, to be able to, to get everybody inside. Well, I want to ask you, do you remember this guy? Kind of looks like Kyle Kelly, uh, but it's not. I asked him and he said, no, that's, that's not him. Uh, yeah, he, he usually keeps his beard more trim than that. Uh, he tends to pop up in our heads when we see the John 3.16 reference, doesn't he? If you uh, grew up watching football in the 70s and uh, late 70s and the 80s, you saw him, chances are you saw him in an end zone somewhere. Uh, did you ever wonder what happened to him? I mean, if you watch now, you don't see him. And in fact, he used to be on golf courses. You'd see him at golf tournaments. That's how he got his start. And then he started showing up. Every time a field goal would be kicked, uh, for, depending on which uh, team he was uh, there to, uh, to root on, you would see him there with his sign. And I was uh, amazed to read his story this past week. As I was making preparations and getting some things together, uh, I read this account of him. I found it in Homiletics uh, magazine, but it was taken from Wikipedia. So you can look up and uh, find him there. By the way, Encyclopedia Britannica uh, is no longer printing their hardbound books. So uh, Wikipedia won. And uh, I think it's becoming a little more reliable. But here's the account of, of his life. It says, uh, so how was it that, that those John 3.16 signs started popping up in the stands at televised sporting events? One story traces the origin to one Rollin, Rockin' Rollin' Stewart who gained notoriety in the 1970s for his antics as the Rainbow Man at golf tournaments. Stewart was obsessed with getting his face on television. He started attending golf tournaments wearing a multicolored Afro wig. He had a knack for predicting where the camera would be pointed at a certain crucial hole on the course. When it panned over his way, he would pop up, wave his arms, give the okay or the thumbs up gestures, and generally do whatever he could to attract attention to himself. By the way, I've been told by Jenny that uh, that's no longer cool to do that, uh, and I'm always doing that, just to aggravate her. In 1980, Mr. Rollin got religion. Afire with enthusiasm for his newfound Christian faith, he began applying his talent for getting himself in the camera viewfinder to, to the task of spreading the good news. He's traded his rainbow wig for a John 3.16 sign. Others began emulating his unorthodox witnessing methods, and an American sports tradition was born. Would that the story ended there, but it has a sad and perplexing closing chapter. After several years driving around the country from sporting event to sporting event, subsisting on donations, Stewart fell on hard times, ending up homeless. His obsession with the limelight led him to set off a series of stink bomb attacks on Southern California targets, including the Crystal Cathedral, offices of the Orange County Register, and the Trinity Broadcasting Network, and I think another site was a Christian bookstore. In 1992, convinced that Jesus would be returning in a matter of days, he was arrested after a bizarre standoff in a California hotel room where he had taken two day laborers that he had kidnapped at gunpoint and where a hotel maid who saw his gun subsequently locked herself in a bathroom. After threatening to shoot at planes taking off from the nearby Los Angeles International Airport, 
and covering the walls of the hotel room with John 3.16 signs. He was arrested and sentenced to three consecutive life terms for kidnapping. This is a very unhappy ending to a life shining, such a powerful light in the world, and especially uh, in the sports and TV realm, where so many people were watching and so many people were talking about John 3.16 and probably looking it up to find out what is this John 3.16 and what is it all about and What's the deal with the uh, rainbow wig? But how can someone so familiar with John 3.16 turn out to live a life in such contradiction to what John 3.16 is all about? How can someone holding up such a sign of life end up dropping in to such a condition of waste? I mean, what, what is it in his life that led him to do what he did? What caused him to snap? Well, certainly there are a lot of people that end up snapping, people who are doing good. We saw this past week in the news about the, uh, the Coney, uh, the Invisible Children video that just made its way across uh, YouTube and, and became viral instantly with millions of people tuning in to watch it. And this was something he had dedicated his talents and his time and his life to. A good guy but they find him running down the streets in San Diego and just his underwear screaming and uh, just seeming to be out of his head. What happened to him? Why did he live a life in such contradiction? And then uh, also this past week about the, uh, uh, the military officer uh, Bales, Robert Bales, who uh, seemed to be a family man and have everything together uh, and is accused of taking his gun and going into a a place where there were civilians shooting 16 uh, that included children as well as women and, and men. It's hard to understand why people do what they do. And it's hard for us to understand why Roland Stewart ended up switching his life in such a, a completely different direction. And I don't know any more about Stewart than this article that I just read. But I do know about me. And I do know that you must be a lot like me when it comes to John 3.16. I mean, I grew up with this verse. I grew up in church, literally. And I remember this was one of the first verses that I, I memorized. We had to do this in Bible drill, that you had to get this verse. This would be the first one. Because if you couldn't get John 3.16, they'd just kick you out. And you, uh, you couldn't get pizza, and they'd take your Bible away from you. and It was just terrible. But I got it. But I'm not sure that I ever really understood it. We must be a lot like Stuart without the wig and without the big sign. We may not have any real idea about what we're holding up to the world. And we may not have any idea about what, what, what God was holding up to the world in Jesus Christ as He walked this earth. A closer look at the well-known words here from John. They provide us with a deeper understanding about what was taking place. I admit, it is hard to get past the familiarity of this John 3.16 reference. To do so, we need to look again at the whole context of these words. We just know 16, but we really don't ever talk about 17. About Jesus not coming to condemn the world, but about how much He loves the world. And then we forget that this was a part of a conversation that was going on with a man named Nicodemus. So we need to look again at this whole context. Jesus was in a conversation with Nicodemus, a religious leader and an insider who had an undeniable 
but very secret interest in who Jesus was and what he had been teaching. Nicodemus had heard other people talking about Jesus, and he had also, no doubt, heard Jesus teaching. And so he really gives no expression on his face or to other people. He doesn't want any of his other Pharisees to know that he is interested in Jesus, that something Jesus is saying rings true within his own soul, and he wants to know more. And so he goes and talks to Jesus in the dark of night. And so he makes this visit to him, and uh, he has this awareness about Jesus being from God. Maybe He is the Messiah that they've been looking for. Maybe He is this Son of Man, this Son of God. Jesus tells him that he would need to be born again before he could enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you, you must be born again. And you kind of get a feel for that conversation here. He's got his hand going up to himself. Me? Be reborn? This makes no sense, Jesus. And it leads Nicodemus to asking how he could ever be born again. How could I go back in my mother's womb? That's impossible, Jesus. It makes no sense. He missed the spiritual sense of what Jesus was saying. And Jesus provided an answer to him with a little chiding about him being a teacher, about him being a Pharisee and being one who would understand the law and understand what Israel and what God, what what all this was all about. But about him not knowing what he was talking about. And it included a reference to this Numbers chapter 21 text that we heard earlier about the serpent held up on the pole as a, a visual antidote for the Israelites, uh, about the poison of the snakes biting him and, uh, or biting them and killing them in the wilderness. And as you heard that text, you know that th- this is where they were because of their rebellion and their anger and, and all the problems that they uh, continued to bring into their own lives. And so God just had them wander around out there before they could get to the promised land. And as they're out there, these poisonous snakes are around them, biting them. And so He tells Moses, take a serpent, one of these poisonous serpents, put it up on a pole uh, and hold it there so that everybody looks at that. And if they look at that and believe, then they will be healed. And it would be something that would help them to uh, get uh, healed and and to be better. Uh, I wrote a blog post this week about the, um, if you look at the medical symbol uh, for a medical doctor or for a clinic, you'll see that on there there's a pole and there's a serpent. It doesn't seem like that would provide any kind of hope or, uh, I know Emily Massey would not want to go there because of her fear of snakes, but if you look at that, you know, it reminds you about the healing power of serpents, at least in ancient culture that many cultures would view the serpent as being a source of healing or a source of wholeness. And so this is coming from Moses as he's holding the snake up on a pole. And this was something that they were to do as an antidote. And Jesus wanted him to know that the Son of Man must also be lifted up. And we know that Jesus was lifted up, not on a pole, but on a cross. That whoever sees Him could believe and have eternal life. The word believe here is in the present tense. It is emphasizing present and continual action. It is anchored in a past action. Something that God has already done, but that continues in the present and will go on into the future. John wanted his readers to know that belief in Jesus was not a one-time spiritual decision, but an ongoing embrace of their faith. It wasn't signing on to a set of beliefs or joining a religion. It was a way of life. 
And eternal life, as he mentions it here, is another one of those words that we don't fully understand. When I say eternal life, what do you think about? You probably think about the pearly gates, you think about Peter, you think about you know, somebody meeting you there, or you think about death and the life beyond. Maybe you think about floating around in clouds, and I don't know if we're going to do that or not. I guess that'd be kind of fun. But we kind of think about eternal life as something way on out there. And yet Jesus is talking about something very different. It includes that idea, but it certainly includes, except for the clouds, but it includes what he is talking about right there in that setting. It was a way of life. And our thinking, again, usually goes right into this life after death. But the people of Jesus' and, and John's time, they understood these words to mean a life they began right then. Right in their very present moment. It was a present and a very practical reality for them. And the presence of God. It was the kind of life God always intended for humankind. One that they would be reborn into through the Spirit of God. And he talks about this with Nicodemus, that you must be born again. And the Spirit of God does this. It was one that would be radically different from their former existence. Nicodemus, your life will be radically different if you believe and if you receive this eternal life. It appears that we, especially in Western Christianity, Become like Nicodemus or like Rollin Stewart in missing what these words of John 3 are all about. A look at our society, our churches, our world seem to indicate that we know very little of real belief or of the characteristics of eternal life. How have you viewed belief? How have you viewed eternal life? We are invited by this gospel to believe. Such a belief is not giving assent to propositional truths, nor a one-time expression of faith, but is a continual embracing of Jesus as Savior, and as the early church would say, as Savior and as Lord. It is living. It is organic. It is dynamic. It is not something so static as can be written on ink on a sign that we hold up to the world. It is not just believing in a God of the past, nor of one who will greet us in the future when we die. No, it is placing faith in a God who is alive and who is active in our present. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is active in your present? Maybe you look back and think, I was really walking with God back in 1980 or, or whenever you met Christ on the road of your life. Maybe you can think back to a special time when you didn't have as many problems as you did and you, you felt close to God. Or maybe it was during those times you felt closest to God and you don't really feel that anymore. Do you really believe that He is alive and in the midst of your present? Well, it is looking up from the life-threatening bites of the serpents in our lives to the life-saving action of the Jesus who came into our world. This kind of belief leads right into what eternal life is all about. This kind of belief in Jesus begins eternal life. And the characteristics of this life become accessible and apparent to us right here in the now. Having eternal life is not something you dream about or wait for, although it is something in the future as well. I do believe that. I do believe that we have a life that is beyond the breath that we take in this world. But what Jesus wanted His world and ours to know 
is that eternal life is to be the way that we live in the present reality of the love of the resurrection life that Jesus has provided for us. I mean, that's what we're going to come together to celebrate on Easter Sunday. And it's what we're going to invite others to come and to hear about so that they can celebrate this in their lives as well. But we need to make sure that we understand it and, and it's something that's being lived out in our own lives. It is a whole new mode of being. It is a brand new life. It is a completely different kind of human existence. It was right in front of them as He stood there. And it is right in front of us as well. Do you know about this kind of living? Or are you more in a perishing mode? Remember that part of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. Jesus was talking more about this sense of perishing with their own lives, a life that is completely wasted. A life that continues on without the realization that God desires to be involved in it, right here on this earth. It is here. But are we wasting it? Are we living without an awareness of what we are lifting up to the world? Are you living your life without really living your life? Are you and I providing a witness to our family and to our neighbors, to our friends, and even to our enemies and to the world that God so loved of what real eternal life really looks like? This is why I think that our society doesn't see it. And our society needs people with crazy wigs and signs to be able to even begin to understand where to even find the gospel. Because our lives typically don't show it. That we have a completely different kind of orientation in this world. Imagine the difference that can be made in our lifetime if we really believe. Nietzsche uh, wanted Christians to know if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you had better look a little more redeemed. I believe that it is our call from this gospel text today, as we lift up the Redeemer, to look a little more redeemed. And God, we ask you for your help this morning.